Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac. Away we go, the Monday edition as we lead towards Christmas this week. Tanner Hendrickson, our producer. I'm Dan McLaughlin, and my guest today will be Chris Trevino from the Mizzou Broadcast. Mizzou two-game losing streak, but they do get the nod to head to the Music City Bowl. They'll take on Iowa, so we'll talk about that. And we'll also visit with Alex Ferraro as uh, hockey has been announced with a return to play January 13th. They'll drop the puck for the season. That news coming out yesterday. Some college basketball to tell you about. And in just a moment, we're going to hear from Mike Schilt. But uh, SLU loses last night to Minnesota. So they've got their first loss of the season. Jordan Goodwin is six double-double in seven games. He had 21-10 and 10 to go along with seven assists. I thought a couple of things stood out in the game. Fred Thatch, really good. 11 points, 8 rebounds. He was granted another year of eligibility for a medical hardship, if you didn't hear that over the weekend. The key in the game, Slew shoots 35% in the second half. Minnesota goes to the free throw line 41 times. They hit 34. And all of a sudden, you look up, Minnesota's got 90 points. That's the difference in the game. Illinois loses again. They lost to Rutgers, and we should have a top 25 maybe before uh, this show is through. College football, we've now had seven years of the college football playoff. And think about this. We've had 28 bursts and 11 programs. That's it. Only 11 different programs for the college football playoff. Cincinnati is undefeated, but they're not invited. They're number eight and yet they're behind an 8-2 and two Oklahoma Sooners team. Florida team that has three losses and just lost over the weekend, they're behind them. Coastal Carolina, they're 11-0. They never even broke into the top 10. They don't even get a New Year's Six Bowl. Right. So, you know, if you want to expand the playoffs and see what those guys could do against the big boys, this was the year to do it. They're not going to do it. Notre Dame loses over the weekend to Clemson, but yet they stay in the top four. The key with Brian Kelly, you know, it always come down, can he win the big game? And I just stop with, you know, oh, you got to get somebody in there that can win. The guy wins. He wins. He hasn't won the big one, but he's won a lot. But in 2013, they lost to Alabama in the BCS championship, 42-14. 2016 Fiesta Bowl, blown out by Ohio State, 44-28. Lost to Clemson in the college football playoff, 30-3. Then they lost over the weekend. It wasn't just a loss. It was how they lost. They were blown out in that game. Clemson scored on plays of 67, 33, 24, and 34 yards. Notre Dame didn't have a play longer than 30 yards all game. Ouch. And in the first game, it was kind of one in the trenches. Notre Dame did a really good job with that. Not this time. They were blown out. Trevor Lawrence was awesome. 412 yards, three touchdowns. And so Clemson is in the top four. You've got Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Ohio State. 
All right, NHL, 56 games. Every game is meaningful. The way I look at it, it's like every team is tied coming out of the NHL All-Star break of a natural regular season, a normal 82-game regular season. Every game is going to mean something. You got rivals with Colorado. You got rivalry with Petro and Vegas. Potentially, you could face these teams 15 times in about four and a half months. Eight times in the regular season. Could have a seven-game playoff. That's 15 times. That could get nasty. That's rivalries. It's back to the old division play. Also, it'll be the first time in all Canada division since 1938, which also adds to the fun of what could be a really fun 2021 of the NHL season. We'll talk about that with Alex Ferrario. Now on to baseball. Mike Schilt met with the media uh, late on Friday. A lot of different topics. He, he was there for probably an hour or so, I guess. And one of the things that uh, we start with this conversation about, his thoughts on Randy Arena. everybody talking about it, and his breakout in the playoffs with Tampa Bay. Yeah, I can't say I was, you know, um, I think everybody was a little bit surprised, right? I mean, you know, to have an historic postseason run like he had with the names that he was equal equal to an elite frog in, in record books but you know the skill set clearly there you know randy came up with us at the end of the year after terrorizing you know, memphis for about six weeks and came up and, and contributed a little bit towards the end of our you know september call up in 19 and you know made a big enough impact where he's on our playoff roster in that short period of time in 2019 we just didn't have the the need quite candidly with the rock we had with Zuna out there and the guy that at Dexter having a you know, solid year and contributing with playoff experience. And we just didn't have a lot of need for him to, to make that run we had in 19. But um, clearly a skill set that given the opportunity to play every day, he was able to demonstrate and take off and, and he just uh, fed on himself. So I'm happy for Randy. And I can't say I'm surprised because he's got the ability, but to the level that he was able to do it, that was amazing. Yeah, surprised everybody, and that's one that got away, and the Cardinals can't afford to have that happen again. So now they look at 2021 spring training, when and if that may happen. Really nice job of that last year. Uh, the communication was very fluid both ways, and I thought guys were got to a certain point where they weren't going too fast, but they weren't so far behind that they need to ramp up in a, in a rushed fashion. And I think that was indicative of how healthy we were able to stay last year with with use injuries um, or potentially overuse injuries um, I felt like our guys were ready uh, to go in spring training obviously and then we were ready to go into summer camp and and come out of the season well in a pretty good fashion uh, and we were able to maintain and outside of Dakota who had, you know had some pre-existing things I guess going on with his elbow you know we really didn't have any issues by and large with it with anything from a from a you know, getting ready standpoint, the ready to compete standpoint, especially going through the gauntlet of 11 doubleheaders. He was really good last year when after spring training, Mike was on the Zooms, constant contact with the club and the players in terms of this is what's expected when you come back. This is what we're hearing. This is how you gear up and try to get back in shape. And I'm sure he's doing that right now. The big story with the Cardinals would be Yadi and Wayno. His thoughts on Yadi or Molina. I'm optimistic. Um, and I don't think I'm a, a blind optimist, but I'm an optimist by nature. Um, clearly, I uh, want them back. Both are, you know, multi-generational players for us that have had long-term success and are, you know, a big fabric of our club and, and um, have been for a while in our culture um, on and off the field. So, you know, definitely want to have them back. They, they both know that. That being said, everybody understands it as a business. And, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a, a entity in, involved in this that doesn't want them to come back it's just a matter of how it can get worked out you know that's that's a big part of, of 
you know, our, our organization, but you know, that will time will tell and it'll probably tell relatively soon. And, uh, relative to, you know, thinking about, you know, life without Yachty, um, you know, my head's not there. I don't, you know, choose to put my, my mindset there because, you know, it's a hard place for me to go, um, mentally. I'm not naive that it may not, you know, he may not come, you know, he may not come back. I, I get that. Uh, and then we'll pivot. But, um, as far as putting mental energy towards thinking about um, number four not being behind the plate for us, I haven't put a lot of consideration to that. Herrera is probably two years away. Kisner would be the likely choice, maybe go outside the organization, but that's going to have to be a decision. You know, you're not far away from spring training. You're, you're less than two months away. Uh, you're looking at roughly six months away from spring, uh, spring training, middle of February. So you get through Christmas, get through the first of the year. The vaccine is rolling out. You get a better idea what that season may look like. Mike also talked about watching the game as a fan, in particular in postseason play. Anytime I get to watch baseball, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm not as happy when I'm watching the couch in the playoffs as far as being in a dugout. Um, but our sport is still a, a special sport, and there's a lot of positives about it. Um, so I, I choose to get joy out of that. That being said, our, our sport, based on its, its predictability, is not as enjoyable as far as and I mentioned earlier about about execution and you know it's just it, it's a sort of execution historically and and strategy and chess and it's and that's one of the things that is interesting that Mike talks about because if you look at how the game is played and I think this is what he's talking about three outcomes strikeout walk home run he comes from a background of execution and teaching the baseball at the amateur level. Now, this is a different animal. This is professional baseball. This is the major leagues. But a good example, talked about it with Randy. Extra innings, runner at second. Are they executing, getting that runner to third, then ultimately bringing him home? A lot of teams can't do it. And that's what he's saying. You know, it's it's not a product that you want to see. Well, you want to see more action. You want to see more activities is I think what he's trying to say. You want to see the action for fans. This is still entertainment, and it's something that you have to think about moving forward, the sport in general as a whole. So the other thing, though, with his team, as it pertains to the Cardinals of 2021, they're going to have some pretty good pitching. You know, you got in the rotation, KK, Flaherty, Gomber, Reyes, Michaelis, potentially. Notice I put Gomber and Reyes in there. Wayno not signed. I'm going to leave him off this. They're going to probably tell these guys to be stretched out as starters. Cabrera, Martinez, Helsley, Gant, Oviedo, Woodford, Ponce de Leon. Bullpen guys, good uh, good pitchers. Whitley, Webb, Miller, Gallegos, Hicks. You still have Fernandez, Elledge, Meisinger. At some point, Libertor, Thompson. So they, they've got some options. But the big question for the Cardinals going into the season currently constructed will be their offense. First, we have what we have. And we, we're very intentional, kind of piggybacking on Jeff's question. Um, of just about being the best version of helping and, and working with everybody getting getting incrementally better and, and taking the offseason to do that. And I think that's a healthy mindset. I do like the, the pieces that we have and the players we have and I'm grateful for the opportunity to work with them and, and help them, you know, get the most out of their God-given ability and help us put together a team that, you know, competes for winning the National League Central and beyond. But, you know, part two of that question is, yeah, anytime you could improve your club or or put a, a, an anchor in the middle of your lineup, definitely be very welcoming because it just has residual effect. Um, you know, not only that, it, it helps other people in the lineup, it lengthens the lineup. 
and and it just makes everybody around them better when you have that that um, extra extra you know bat that can make a consistent difference in your lineup. It just uh, it's 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 impactful, and and I think that's been you know pretty. But it's not to say we can't still function with if we don't make that kind of move or whatever that looks like. More with Mike Shield coming up later in the hour. Included in that will be maybe even Matt Carpenter returning to leadoff. Up next, we'll visit with Chris Trevino. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Awesome to have the chance to visit with Chris Trevino, who is always on the sidelines for Missouri football, the analyst on Missouri basketball and good morning Chris how are you hey Danny Mac good morning I'm well you doing okay I'm doing well everybody's safe and uh doing uh, everything right socially distant in your household getting ready for Christmas I assume we're giving it our best shot and uh yeah we're always ready for Christmas hard to believe the big day is what just four days away but I hope you're ready to enjoy it as, as best we can given the circumstances you got it what did you think of uh, Missouri getting the nod to go to the Music City Bowl and they'll take on Iowa what do you think well I think it's a really tough matchup uh Eli Drinkwitz uh, said as much uh last night in their little uh, press conference that that's really a game that they wanted I, I don't know that he was hoping to play Iowa necessarily because I think that's a really tough matchup for Missouri but but he was uh, excited. We even started hearing this before Missouri's last game about going to Nashville for the Music City Bowl as opposed to maybe one of the Florida games on the New Year's Day, or in this case, Saturday, the 2nd of January. And that's a little surprising, but I think he, he thought that, uh, that the timing worked well. This way the kids are going to get a little break for Christmas and then even a little break uh, for New Year's. And he liked the window of, of, of the schedule of that game. He liked the fact that it's in Nashville. It's drivable for the kids and, I guess, family members and fans who are willing to travel. It's a shorter, easier uh, distance. And he liked the fact that Nashville, obviously, is an SEC country and right in fertile recruiting ground. And Mizzou does have a handful of players from Tennessee. So I will tell you I've already heard from fans <laughs> saying, why didn't they, with a better record than Ole Miss in Kentucky, uh, jump at a chance or really try to get to one of the Florida games because uh, I know, gosh, Danny, they've only been to one Florida New Year's Day game in my 30-plus years. That was the Citrus Bowl in Orlando a few years ago they won. But but this really was the matchup. Uh, again, the bowl game and location they wanted. But, again, we can talk more about Iowa. They are really good. I think that's a tough draw in terms of an opponent. What, what are you hearing about fans? Uh, you mentioned it that family members and, and staff can go, but in terms of how many fans they can get into that stadium and are fans uh, aggressively buying tickets or what, what are you hearing about that? Yeah, it's still a little early for me to give you a complete accurate answer on that, but I know they do uh, have fans there in that stadium for the bowl game. That is the plan and intention. And then Missouri's made that available to their fans. It'll be limited. They're not, for example, Missouri doing a big, you know, organized trip or anything of that nature. And almost all these bowl games are scaled back, certainly this year. And, you know, it's more like a road game for Missouri. I think the team's going over, uh, you know, two days ahead. They'll spend two nights there, I think, come back after the game. It's an afternoon game at three o'clock. But that stadium, the home of the Tennessee Titans, it's 69,000. So, I guess if you do the math, it's, it would be what, like, like uh, 13, 14,000. I think they're letting in, I think is going to be capacity about 20 to 25%. So <laughs> it's going to be unlike, you know, any other bowl game. And, and I say that Dan, and you probably know this too, from your experiences, you know, a lot of these bowl games, other than the big, big, big ones, uh, 
you know, they're not necessarily always very well attended no. or packed anyway. Right. The big thing, as you know, I think, is you, the TV deal. And, you know, ESPN, I think, of the games that are still being played this particular holiday season, I think ESPN is showing all but one of them. I think right. Got like 32 of the 33. So the, the main thing, just like the season, and let's just call it what it is, to get the revenue as much as they can with lower ticket sales, get the product on TV, get the bowl games on TV. And that's the big thing, and it'll be on television on ESPN uh, next Wednesday, the 30th. I can understand totally wanting the kids and the families to have time or to go home for Christmas. I totally get it. I mean, we're all yep. you know, human beings. We want to be around our loved ones at Christmas time. Where my concern comes in is that they go home and – you're around people that aren't in the pseudo bubble of being in a sports program. Is there concern about that at all with Missouri football? So they, they go home, they come back and all of a sudden you could have an issue with that. Is there any concern with that? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think you're right on it. And that's a a really good point and a good concern. I I do think though, as much as you can be and realizing a lot of it is just good fortune in in some regards that uh, Eli Drinkwitz does really trust his players and think they've handled the season very well. And, and maturely, and really had to be, you know, here. I mean, it's such a different lifestyle. You think for us, think about college kids and not going out and keeping socially distant. But Missouri, and I'm knocking on my wooden head here as I say this, has really been pretty good about that. Obviously, they've got all 10 of their games in, which, which you know, a lot of schools across the country certainly can't say that. Now, their numbers have been down. I mean, they've been really thin, even this past weekend in the defensive backfield. But, again, Drinkwitz, to his credit, and he said this publicly, and we were hearing it ahead of time, he wanted this particular game i mean he really did a lot of times you hear coach speak but but they because he thought it, it, it's close it's, it's like i said it's easier travel they can get home and back carefully obviously before and then after the game and the season ends on that wednesday the 30th but i think you're right and i think it's a good concern in fact just before you conzo martin had his uh, uh zoom conference call ahead of their game with bradley tomorrow night and he was asked about the the guys getting to go home for christmas and then she goes we're thinking and talking about that exactly right now this morning they're discussing that as a basketball staff because the guys have you know been in their proverbial bubble and done very well and the team's off to a terrific start but again all stuff we never really had to think about before and they're trying to handle it properly chris trevino is my guest does a great job on uh, mizzou radio with mike kelly and howard richards and i'm can you know just kind of thinking outside the box here or at least just looking at it from my viewpoint not engaged like you are but I was disappointed in the Mississippi State game I thought they'd split the final two and it just you know wasn't just the way or the fact that they lost the final two games it was the way that they gave up a ton of points what, what were your thoughts on the final two games well you're right on it man and I try to be honest as you know that's the way to be I thought it was the worst game of the year I thought it was the most disappointing performance of the season, quite frankly. And, you know, the defense has really uh, struggled the last, uh, gosh, three games. So even when they beat Arkansas, of course, they had to score on the final play of the game uh, to win 50-48. to 48. Then Georgia comes out and pounds them 49-14. Then Mississippi State, which had lost seven of eight games since winning its season opener against LSU, uh, comes out and scores whatever it was, 51 and I, I said, you know, only half jokingly because it's better to laugh than cry sometimes. <laughs> the defense, quote unquote, only gave up 37 points. But to your point, you know, the other areas chipped in. You had a, a, a punt return, uh, uh, you know, guy fumble the ball that was then recovered in the end zone for a touchdown from Mississippi State. You had a quarterback, a freshman who's been really good this year, throw three interceptions, one of which was returned for a touchdown. So, you know, really the entire team. 
uh, frankly, contributed to what was a very disappointing performance. And, you know, hopefully, Danny, they come back and end what's been, I think, still a surprisingly good season with five wins with an all-SEC schedule. Hopefully they come back. Uh, but I've noticed already, and I thought Missouri might be a double-digit underdog. They're listed as a 14-point underdog against Iowa. And it's the largest uh, underdog uh, in a bowl game between two power five teams other than Notre Dame currently listed as about a 17 point uh, plus underdog against Alabama. But other than that, this right now, just the morning after the announcements come out is the biggest mismatch. So to speak, if you go by that for whatever it's worth, because Iowa lost its first two games by one point and four points, to Northwestern Purdue. Since then, Danny, they won their last six. And all of those wins were by double digits, mm. except one against Nebraska. So they have been rolling. And I just think Missouri had really got to show up and, and want to be there, which they say they do, and I believe them, but really play. Because I think this particular – I thought this might be the matchup in the Outback Bowl. I thought it might be Missouri-Iowa in the Outback, but now now they get the Hawkeyes in the, uh, in the Music City. Yeah, and the way to, you know, close the gap is get players, recruit. And by all accounts, it looks like Eli did a pretty good job in that first recruiting class. That's true, and, and he knows that, and he's all about it. He's, he's energetic and, and young. Not that you have to be young to be energetic, but in this case, I think it goes hand-in-hand hand with him and his staff. And, and, yeah, I agree, and I know you've got your finger on the pulse of St. Louis sports, of course, and it looks like they really did well there in St. Louis with a handful of highly touted kids. So I think that's the excitement, you know, and you never hear coaches come out and say they had a bad recruiting class right. or a bad time on the road. But, but I believe in this – and I think they've got they've got to you know they've got to because again he he, he is uh, I think thinking on the fact that you know they'll have chances in more regular times and regular years when bowl games are the full week of festivities and hoopla to go to New Year's Day games and and even bigger and better bowls and wants to do that and take full advantage of it under normal times but you know some would say that's presumptuous but I think this guy's just that confident about the future and this program here i'll wrap it up with this you got bradley and mizzou tomorrow on the hardwood and then get going with sec number 10 tennessee against mizzou on wednesday so big week for uh, mizzou hoops boy it sure is and i was looking at bradley i uh, really for the first time uh, after the road trip coming back uh, and you know that missouri valley conference and, and bradley has been been pretty good here uh, lately under brian wardle he's got a the veteran ball club. I know they've had great success in Arch Madness the last couple of years winning that tournament. They're really good defensively, uh, and they're up to 6-2 and two start. Missouri's 5-0 and oh and really looking good. So that'll be a, a good ball game uh, ahead of Tennessee, you know, a week out. But I think Conzo's got a good team, and, you know, they, they, they've had – their lumps the last couple of years, but, but in fairness, and I don't like making excuses. I don't like coaches to make excuses, but they had a lot of guys hurt. As you know, they, they lost, uh, you know, so many key players for so many games, Tillman and Mark Smith, most notably the last two years each, but man, they're healthy and they're deep and talented. And what a great win over Illinois, uh, you know, following up uh, the win over Oregon. So uh, it's going to be a good game, but but I know the Valley, and I know you know the Valley, and, and Bradley's got some good players. That, that should be interesting here uh, tomorrow night. Looking forward to tuning uh, you and Mike Kelly in and uh, <laughs> listening to, to what you guys have to bring us. It should be a lot of fun, and great job on, on football this year. You, you know, obviously not easy circumstances, and you guys were great. So thanks for bringing it to all the fans. We appreciate it. Hey, you're kind, buddy. It has been a year unlike any others, but Merry Christmas to you, your family, and all 
your wonderful listeners. You too. That's the great Chris Gervino. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Merry Christmas. All right, Dan. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. You got it, buddy. Coming up, Alex Ferrario of 101, our Hockey Insider, will join me, and we'll talk about the Blues. January 13th, they drop the puck. Training camp January 3rd, and it looks like the Blues have named a captain as well. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Well, I think he just does whatever we ask of him. And he's a real, you know, solid team guy. He doesn't, you know, he never complains. He works hard. You never have to ask him to work harder and compete because he's always doing that. You know, and just his intelligence as a player, you know, to see how smart he is. And again, he's always in the right position, doing the right thing for the team. Blues head coach Craig Berube earlier talking about uh, what could be his captain, Ryan O'Reilly. As Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic broke a story that Ryan O'Reilly will be named the newest captain of the St. Louis Blues, calling the games here on 101 ESPN, Joey Vitale, and he thinks that O'Reilly should be the next captain of the Blues. Uh, do I expect Ryan O'Reilly to get the captain? I do. I think he is probably the best leader in that locker room even before uh, this moment right now, even going back to the last season. Let's bring in Alex Ferrario, also part of the broadcast. He's coming up between 11 and 2 on 101 ESPN. Hey, Alex, good morning. How are things going? Good morning, Dan. Christmas comes early, buddy. We find out last night hockey's coming back, and uh, the Rams lose to the Jets, so I can rub that in T-Bone's face. <laughs> yeah, he's been despondent this morning, but Has it's he? okay. Yeah, he's got a couple of shoulders to cry on in here, but it's all good. Um, you know, fun story, Dan. A couple weeks ago, uh, Tanner decided to take the Jets and a pick them thinking that they would win. So I would call this karma uh, because the Jets did get a win. Absolutely. Rams. Gambler fallacy. Stalter taught me all about it. I just didn't think it happened against my Rams. Blaining <laughs> Stalter T-bone. So what do you think, Alex, uh, in terms of the captain? Looks like it's going to Ryan O'Reilly. No official announcement yet from the Blues, but broke by Jeremy Rutherford on The Athletic. What do you think? It makes sense, Dan. I think everyone, if you're a Blues fan or just a common hockey fan, you would have expected Ryan O'Reilly to be the next captain. You know, I could hear the argument for a Braden Shen. I'd hear the argument for a Colton Pareko or a Vladimir Tarasenko. But from everything we've seen from Ryan O'Reilly in the two years that he has been here, it, it just exudes confidence and it exudes captaincy. I mean, this is a guy who, from the moment he walked in the doors as a St. Louis Blue, players were drawn to him guys like Robert Thomas all of the younger players were on the ice with him skating afterwards this guy works on and off the ice which is part of the captaincy but you know this Dan you've been around captains in the NHL before it goes beyond what you do on the ice it's what you do off of the ice in terms of the players in terms of the coaches respect and in terms of kind of the extracurriculars now this is an interesting season because of course he doesn't have to be doing uh you know the in-person meet and greets but you know, I saw Ryan O'Reilly do those as an assistant captain for the last couple of years, and this guy did it with a smile on his face. So um, I think the Blues are better off with Ryan O'Reilly as the captain. I think the players are going to uh, rally around a captain like Ryan O'Reilly, and I think you're going to see uh, the fruits of his labor on and off the ice as that captain. So who would get the A's? What do you think? Falk, Pareko, Shin, Perron? Who do you think? You know, this is an interesting one, too, because going back to the Ken Hitchcock era, Dan, you know, they used to have two A's on the road, two A's at home. Uh, but since Craig Berube, and I think when Mike Yo took over, it was just two A's and the captain. They didn't rotate those. 
you know, my guess would be Vladimir Tarasenko is going to have an A when he comes back from injury because he's worn it when he's been playing throughout his time. But until he comes back, my gut tells me Colton Pareko is going to be wearing an A uh, because he could be a captain at some point if Ryan O'Reilly isn't re-signed after his contract is up with the Blues. Um, and I see Braden Shen as another uh, assistant captain. You know, Jaden Schwartz can be an assistant captain as well. But until Tarasenko comes back, it would be Shen and Pareko in my eyes just because of what Braden Shen brings to the ice. He's kind of a lead by example. He's the type of player that the Blues want to play on and off the ice. So Braden Shen makes a lot of sense to me wearing the A, but I could see Jaden Schwartz getting it as well because at times where Steen or Tarasenko uh, couldn't play in the last couple of years, Jaden Schwartz has worn the A. So it'll be interesting to see who Craig Ruby goes with, but my gut tells me Pareko and then one sort of Shen, Schwartz, or Tarasenko. 56 game schedule. To me, every game is meaningful. It's like I, I've been equating this, Alex, at it's like every team is tied coming out of the NHL All-Star break of a regular normal season. So it's back to division play. It's the rivalries. It's the first time in all Canada division since 1938. I think it's going to be fun. I think fans will really get into it. Now, there's no Detroit. There's no Blackhawks. I get it. Um, but still, there's the rivalries there with Colorado and and certainly with Petro out in Vegas. I, I just think it's going to be fun. It's a one-off season. Make the most of it. It's not could be fun, Dan. It will be fun, man. And look, I, I see everyone's comments on social media saying, oh, well, this is stupid. They're not playing Detroit or Chicago, and these are all late hockey games. I get it, man. It, it's not fun, but this is a season that isn't going to be like any other season. It's 56 games, so it's kind of one of those things that you just look at it and you say, okay, this is a one-off, so let's enjoy it while we have it. Um, look, you got some incredible rivalries. I know you don't have the Blackhawks in Detroit, but let's be honest here. Those two teams, as much as Blues fans hate them, they don't bring the competitive level that Colorado, that Vegas, that Minnesota, that Arizona, San Jose, L.A. bring to the table. And I think that's what's making this so intriguing. I was doing some numbers with this, Dan, the other night. So you have 56 games in basically 116 days. You're basically going to be playing a game every other day, like one day off a game in two days is what it's going to come down to. And if you're doing these baseball series where you're in Colorado for two games in three days or two games in four days, if you don't think there's going to be some hatred there, you're sadly mistaken. So like this is going to create more rivalries. I think, I think this truly is going to bring the common sports fan over to the side of hockey for what they're going to present this season. And the really cool part about this Dan is you could see interconference or interdivision Stanley Cup championship game. I mean, because the four teams in each division make the playoffs, and there's really no Eastern Western Conference anymore, at least from my understanding. So you could see a St. Louis, Colorado. You could see a St. Louis, Dallas Stanley Cup championship, which in my eyes is pretty cool for one season. Most arenas will not, at least in the initial part of the season, be able to host fans. NHL also saying that neutral site games could be on the table. So I, I know for fans out there, they're curious if they can go down to Enterprise Center and watch the games. Uh, what are your thoughts on what may happen with Vancouver, the California team, specifically San Jose, and to try to make this whole thing work and try to do it with the potential of fans going to an arena? 
Yeah, this is the interesting one, Dan, because, of course, we're all looking at January 13th saying hockey is back, but there still is that one caveat if the Canadian provinces are going to allow teams to play in their buildings. Now, that's not going to stunt the return of January 13th. The plan is in place. So if none of those Canada teams can play, you know, right now I know that the San Jose Sharks, they're planning their training camp in Scottsdale, Arizona. So I think you're going to see some of that. You mentioned it, neutral sites planned um, in the case of stadiums not being allowed to to host some of these hockey teams. So you'll see stadiums that don't have the normal team that's there. Maybe the Arizona Coyotes are on the road in Colorado. Well, guess what? The San Jose Sharks and the LA Kings are going to go to Scottsdale and they're going to play in Arizona. You're going to see some of that with teams that can't be in their buildings. Now, on the flip side of that, I know Dallas, Tampa, and Florida have all come out and said that they're planning on having fans in the stadiums once the season starts. And I believe they said it's going to be around 5,000 fans. So, you know, not great, but look, that's the local government's thoughts. If you're a Blues fan thinking, why can't I be in the building? So for right now, it's going to be empty stadiums in a majority of these buildings and the teams like the Canadian division, uh, like the California teams, they'll be the ones playing in neutral sites if their buildings don't allow it. But there still is a lot of time before January 13th. So I would imagine some of these places are going to at least lift some of those restrictions to allow the hockey teams back in the buildings. And we'll wrap it up with this. January 3rd, training camp for most teams. If you weren't in the bubble, December 31st. And then the 13th is when uh, they drop the puck. So third training camp for the Blues, 13th. Drop the puck, no exhibition games, and away we go, right? Yeah, there's no point to it, Dan. I mean, look, you can have exhibition games to get these guys ready, but I'll go back to something Joe Vitale told me on This Week in Hockey a couple of weeks ago. If you don't think these guys are in game game shape by now, you're sadly mistaken. For how long these guys have been skating, some of these guys have been playing over in Europe or in the KHL, uh, these guys are ready to go. So a week 10 days of training camp, that's fine. Off and running at January 13th. This is going to be the most intriguing season since that 2012-2013 lockout season, Dan, because this is a sprint, not a marathon anymore. You will lose the chance of being in the postseason in the first week or two of the season. So teams are going to have to be off to a fast start. And for the Blues, they got a challenge because this Pacific West division is not going to be any piece of cake. By the way, what do you have coming up at the top of the hour? We're about uh, 13 minutes away. Yeah, we're going to talk with the head coach, uh, Craig Berube. He's going to join us at 12 o'clock today to uh, talk about the season becoming a reality now, to talk about some of these training camps. And we'll get his thoughts. I know it's kind of speculation right now, although the report's from Jeremy Rutherford saying O'Reilly is the captain. But we'll get Craig's uh, thoughts on Ryan O'Reilly as well. We're also going to talk with uh, Becky Hatter of Big Brother Big Sister to talk a little bit about the holidays and how you can get involved with that. Uh, so we're going to have some fun today. Curbs is sitting in studio uh, once again with me. Uh, BK will be back tomorrow. So we'll have some fun this afternoon from 11 to 2. All right, Alex. As always, thanks. Great info. Dan, great talking to you, buddy. All right, bud. That is uh, Alex Ferrario, and he is our hockey insider here on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs. Oh, Dabo Sweeney is back at it again. Uh, Let's see. He will take on the number two Tigers will play the number three Buckeyes in the college football playoff semifinal. (laughs) The coaches poll, the final ballots were released uh, by USA Today today. 
The Tigers, by the way, have played 11 games. The Buckeyes have played only six. And Dabo Sweeney, he puts a premium on playing your games. He wants to see you play a lot of games. So, Tanner, what did he do? This is good. He I like the, this. He put them at 11. Yeah. So, the, he put them at 11 on his final ballot. That is lower than any of the 61 FBS head coaches who voted in the poll. I'd say that he's going to get out, uh, that uh, you got now a little bulletin board fodder for Ohio State. Yeah, I don't know if I'd poke the bear before going into the semifinal. Well, he just did. Oh, boy. <laughs> that makes it fun. All right. So uh, he puts value and premium on playing a lot of games, and so he voted them 11th. I uh, did have a text question here from the 65780. Danny Mack heard you talking about Carpenter. How could the Cardinals get more out of him? Would they think about maybe moving him to the leadoff spot? Interesting you asked that because Mike Schilt was asked about that on his Zoom on Friday. I've thought about Carp. I don't think a lot about lineups right now because, again, you know, the likelihood that we're going to the same team now that we're going to have at the beginning of the seasons, you know, maybe likely. I don't know, but there's there's real possibility that we'll have a different, you know, addition to our club. And so, but just in, in a, you know, generally speaking with Carp, I've thought about leading him off again. You know, his skill set clearly has played there in the past. I do think we have some other options for that. You know, Colton led off a lot for us last year. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. But um, it's. I can't say it's a. It's. Uh, it's a possibility. Um, a stronger one. I can't say that. Yeah, he's going to come in and lead off, and, and we're going to go from there. But uh, it's definitely something we explore and think about. I, I think you have to think about this. And I know here we go again. Matt Carpenter, his on-base percentage as a leadoff man, 382. His OPS, 864. Okay. Now you don't look at batting averages. But in the two spot, he's a 279 hitter. Third spot, 244. Cleanup, 208. Fifth, 220. Sixth, 181. He has had his best numbers as a leadoff man. And if you're trying to get the most out of him, and this is where he gets his best success, you may look at it. Now, the problem is, is that he bats leadoff, is that uh, it takes three hits to bring him in. There, you know, it's just not a ton of speed there. But if he hits for some power, Get you doubles like he used to, then you got something there. Just and something to think about. When you feel comfortable, if you put Carlson at the two, Goldie three, maybe yeah. DeYoung four. Hey, you got to try something to make the offense better. That's just something to think about. Hey, Alex is coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow at seven on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're gonna pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.